Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be looking back at Wednesday night's win in the Carabao Cup. We're going all the way. A 2-1 win over Norwich City at the Cottage. Also, in this podcast, we will preview Monday's SW6 derby against Chelsea. They might have spent $1.5 but our Fulham favourites for the derby, incredibly maybe also we'll look at the recent ticket price announcements for manchester united fair to say there are a lot of people including me uh, very angry about that and we've got time for some of your questions at the end as well and i'm joined by the regular thursday club today jack collins hello hello listeners hello sammy how are we doing good thank you and peter rutzler is back hello bonjour hey hello hello hi uh, where was i last week i'm confused now you were on your way back from Paris. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh, so I was still here. I was still here. You threw me off there. There was someone. No, 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 no. You were, you were, you were here. I was just like, he's back again. He's back two weeks in a row. Double Peter. We're, uh, we're, we're honoured. And and this time you haven't got a little screaming child uh, running around you in the waiting room wherever you were that time. Yeah, I think it was a bit too serious about all that one there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. Well, you've got me. You've got me briefly anyway. In the middle of absolute yeah. carnage. Yeah. But yeah. No, uh, Peter's uh, extremely busy. He's going to stay. Well, we're going to see how we get on. Maybe for a bit, definitely for the Norwich bit, maybe for the Chelsea bit. Uh, see how you get on, Peter. How long you can uh, last before those deadlines loom over you large. Uh, Jack, could we do, please, the best three word reviews from last night's win over Norwich in the Cup? We can indeed. Uh, I wanted to start with Jimmy Be Good at Craven Cottager 9, who said, Iwobi Zigazig Ah, which for some reason I just really like. <laughs> I like it. It just. It tickled me this morning. I don't think it makes any sense, but it made me laugh. So I was like, that's going in, fine. Um, Rich Bamba, Soul, uh, said, Caro me home, uh, which I enjoyed. Rick Cardis with Eagle Downs Canaries. Gordon, FFC Riverside with Vinny's Budgie Smuggler. And Paul Budd said, Cottages Cage Canaries. And Ross McSweeney with Norfolking Goal Threat. Some very good ones in there. Vinny's budgie smuggler is exceptional, actually. So, um, yeah, I like that. We'll see what names the pod. Uh, Right, let's get into last night's game. Um, Peter, it was actually a bit of a tense victory in the end, but it should have been anything but. I thought Fulham were by far the better team last night against Norwich. Obviously, they got a goal um, 20 minutes from the end that made it all a little bit uncomfortable. But all in all, we took it very seriously. It was a strong lineup. It had more than enough to beat a second string Norwich. And ultimately, it just about was. But realistically, I think we should have probably seen that off three or four nil. Yeah, probably should have been by more, shouldn't it? Um, there was enough threat. I mean, it felt like every shot was blocked by Norwich um, once Fulham got into the final third. But uh, but yeah, no, I agree. I think they should, the, Fulham could have won it more comfortably. I think there were still moments where Fulham were caught in transition and Norwich did quite well on those breaks, created some really good chances and Rodak had to make a couple of really important saves. But overall, yeah, it was pretty good. Another strong team, as you say. Uh, I asked uh, Silver before the game about do the cups you know, mean a bit more because of, you know, obviously bombing out to Crawley last year and blowing up at Old Trafford. And I think there is that element of the Cups offer a route to potentially a, a way to, to get 
to a final, to a big occasion, to to a showpiece moment, but also if you wanted to step on from last year, then then quietly mention Europe. But um, when the league looks so difficult, um, so I think there's an incentive there definitely, um, and we see that with the, with the lineup. And it was good to see um, Balotelli make his debut, see what he looked like. Thought he did okay. Um, looks good. Good uh, ball carrier going forward. Yeah, I think you're doing um, him a bit of a disservice there. I thought he looked excellent. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he looked he looked really good. I, I, sorry, that did sound a bit underwhelming, didn't it? Okay, <laughs> in, in the spectrum of uh, adjectives to use, he did look good. Yes, um, particularly going forward, he seemed to balance quite nicely with Willian. Um, so he looks like a good addition as well. And then obviously Alex Awobi, I thought was was outstanding too. So um, yeah, a, a, a win, get it done. Yeah, I know, Jack, um, obviously Balotelli, I think, was kind of the uh, the star of the night, maybe because we hadn't seen him. And to come in on your debut and look so impressive, look, I think the real tester would be if he has to play Premier League minutes rather than against Norwich in the Carabao Cup. But yeah, he carried the ball well. I just thought the only thing that was so frustrating for, for Balotelli, but this is the kind of thing that will come in time. It's just every time he got into the box, it almost was the kind of Anthony Robinson problem of just like, he just, it was like a magnet to a Norwich player every time he got in there, every time he tried to cross it, he just couldn't quite find a Fulham player. But that'll come in time. It's make, The fact he's making the runs and getting up the pitch is what's exciting. Yeah, 100%. And, and Peter mentioned there the the combination play with, with Willian down that left-hand side I thought was excellent. And actually Tom Kearney as well, drifting into those areas and, and making things happen. I thought the three of them together combined beautifully. And look, we talked about this with Castagna playing left back in the Luton game, right? We talked about the fact that whilst he did a perfectly good job defensively, actually going forward, it felt like Fulham were missing something in terms of the overlap at points, but also in terms of just having that combination, that left-footed ability to to get on beyond and, and, and make things happen in the box. And that's what I really liked about it. He looks like a little bit of a Robinson light and Fulham are, that's not, that's not an insult. It's by any stretch of the imagination, I can realize it might come across as such. What Fulham need down that left-hand side, and especially from Anthony Robinson, who provides this constantly, is that thrust to allow Fulham to, you know, to utilize, to overlap, to, to create those overloads in those wide areas. The fullbacks are so important in different ways. Our right back and left back playing very different sort of stations on the pitch. And, mm. Actually, what Balotore showed yesterday was real signs that he is able to carry that attacking nous out um, and carry that kind of threat down the wing that Robinson also possesses. And Castagna, I think, looks far more comfortable on the right-hand side. He seems to be capable of, of, of obviously playing both, but when he plays on the right, I feel like he's much more assured with the ball and in possession and he plays a safe pass a little bit less often. And I think that that's important for the way that Fulham build up through the wide areas. So I think that Balotore having a good debut and getting off to a good start there is a really good sign. Um, and yeah, I was very, very impressed with him. Peter, Carlos Vinicius grabs the opening goal. It was a bit weird. It just, you know, especially from the Hammersmith end when you're quite far away and the goals at the Putney end, couldn't exactly work out what happened. I mean, it was kind of weird Norwich defending. It went in, but it was a mixed night for Carlos Vinicius because, you know, he gets a goal there and he's still scoring. You know, most times he goes on the pitch, which is great for Carlos, but I have no idea what he was doing with that chance in the second where he literally just needed, to, he just had the go, he was the goal gaping and he just took so long. Yeah, he had a couple, didn't he? Um, I quite like the first goal. I think it was, it was a well-worked set play, I think. Uh, free kick to the back post and then Iwobi sort of kicks it into the ground doesn't he and it didn't it was quite hard to know 
who actually scored it, but obviously Vinicius was there, bundled it in, and it's... Oh, yeah, your Twitter was quite funny. You were like, I think it's a Vinicius. Is it a Wobi? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, n- no replays last night, so um, you're going on the eye test. Um, but yeah, it was... It's, that was one of those where you just thought, you know, Raul Jimenez was on the bench just looking at that. Obviously, he was rested last night, but um, you just think, oh, why can't I get that one? Why can't I get the one mm-hmm. there where the keeper palms it out or the one where that just bounces on the goal line and I can just knock it in? Um, but maybe there's something in that. I was, I was thinking it over and over yesterday. I think, well, you know, there's a knack, there's been the right place, but there's also fortune. Um, and I think I think with Vinicius, obviously, he's, he's got the confidence of scoring goals. Um but he also, as you said, he, he missed a couple of chances as well. I think that that one in the second half was probably the most notable. There was obviously a block. I haven't seen it back, so I can't remember. It's can't. a brilliant tackle. Like, it, it doesn't mean that he shouldn't score. And I have been thinking about it and watching it for a, a long, long time now. And it's like, <laughs> it, it, it's like the ball stops in that slow motion. I'm not quite sure. Like, he could stoop and nod it in. And instead, he sort of <laughs> waits for it to drop he chests it and waits for it to drop and in that time the defender gets back and it is a really really brilliant challenge and it deserves credit but if he just stooped and nodded it in instead of trying to chest it down it would have been 100 percent the back of the net it's a really strange moment i was i texted him the friend i was with last night richard after he afterwards and he was like oh, thanks for the, you know thanks for a lovely evening and i was like i'm still thinking about that vinicius miss and I was just sat here and I was working away in the evening, doing some bits and bobs. It was about one in the morning and all I could think about was this miss. And I was trying to work out how how on earth the ball hadn't ended up in the back of the net. But it was, you know, it is one of those where it is a good block as much as it is. There was one in the first half where he's, where it's, I can't remember who squares it back to him, but he sort of slashes at it, sort of like a yes, Wilson. sideways yeah, like a sideways scissor kick and it, it gets it wrong. And actually, when you think about it back, that was actually quite a good opportunity as well. It was off balance a bit. So, um, but I, I think the the main kind of takeaway I had was, was not necessarily in terms of chances, but just general all-round play. I, I, I wouldn't say that Vinicius's performance to me was like, you have to start this guy against this Chelsea. No. I think it, it's... I think the debate is well, one scoring and and one isn't, but one for me is looks like he's doing more f- for the team in a, in a rounded sense in terms of link up and his ability on the ball. So um, I can see why Silva was quite vague in his sort of answers after the game about you know Vinicius scoring and the competition between all three. So talking about Rodrigo Muniz and how that he did really well at Tottenham, but then got some kind of injury, little issue, and I think he's very much trying to keep everyone happy or in the frame but yeah. you can't shake the sense that Raul remains first choice and I can sort of see why yeah I fully agree I, I don't think that Carlos Vinicius look I know that like football and the currency is goals and he's got two and, and Raul has zero but I don't think like either of the goals were so impressive that you're like right he must start because of those two one was a keeper fumble straight into him and obviously the goal last night we've all seen it right place right time well done. There's something to be credited for that. But I don't think it's quite like, right, now you're 
definitely above Raul. Um, I actually think it's working quite well as it is as well. Like if it is Raul for 60 minutes and then if Raul isn't scoring, Carlos Vinicius is a good option to bring off the bench and just change it up. And I don't think, I think Marco's actually not in an awful place and he's got Rodrigo Muniz chomping at the bit uh, to, to come on and we'll, we'll discuss his performance maybe in a second. Um, Jack, Alex Wobi got his first goal for the club and that felt like a real moment. It was a really good finish as well from outside the box, found the corner perfectly and capped off an impressive display. I, I'm getting more and more excited by this signing the more times that we see him. And I enjoyed last night watching him from the start. I felt like he's had to come on in the last 20 minutes of the last two games and it's high pressure, it's tense, it's nervous. He was allowed to be himself last night and I think we saw the kind of benefits of him having a bit more freedom to be creative. Yeah, I love watching him in different roles. And I've, I've always kind of thought that his best role is as a number 10. Um, but if he's going to play off the wing, I want it to be off the left. And I was a little bit disappointed just in terms of the way that the game was and an opportunity to see him in that game state when Bobby Reed came on for William, that they didn't just give him a run on that left-hand side and play Bobby in the eight, just so we could see what that might look like as a link-up. Um, but generally, what an what impressive performance. I think in terms of that midfield role, he has it all. He presses so well. Um, but also, he's pretty press-resistant when he gets the ball in those spaces. He turns out of trouble quite a lot. There was a couple of really deft touches to allow us to, to break on the counter. He seems to steam forward. Um, when Polina and, and Kearney got on the ball as well and, and trying to get into the, into the final third to support Vinicius. And I think that that's, that's really important for Fulham's number 10 or whoever is playing in that number 10 role because of that lack of goals we've been talking about from the strikers. It's really key to get that number 10 to the positions where they can also pick up goals. And the finish, you know, crowned it off. It was a really lovely, instinctive one, you know, one touch finish. Good layoff, actually, from Wilson, I thought, because that was not an easy, easy ball to control. And it was all pinballing around a little bit. But to place that in the corner in the way that he did with almost no back lift uh, and leave the keeper no chance was very, very impressive. And yeah, crowned off uh, a brilliant night for him. I, I thought he was far and away the best player on the park. Uh, and then Peter, obviously uh, Norwich got back into it. Breuer signs um, with 15 minutes left to play. It was a bit tense, but Norwich never really going to score a second. Um, let's just quickly discuss the fourth round draw. Ipswich Town away. There seemed to be like more re negative reaction to this last night than I thought there would be because there was about six teams I didn't want to play. Ipswich wasn't one of them, but... Ipswich right now is a hugely exciting um, football club who look like they could be able to do back-to-back -back promotions. Um, Scott got 100 points, over 100 points in the uh, and 100 goals, I think, in League One last season and kind of flying right now. So not easy, but also I'm kind of like, that could be a lot worse. Yeah, I think, I think I mean, the win last night could have been easier and I think the draw could have been could have been worse. So, um, I mean, Ipswich are, as you say, they're flying. It's Kieran McKenna in charge, isn't it? He's, he's doing a really good job there, sort of turning around. I, th I mean, they when they changed up their hierarchy, they made loads and loads of signings. I think it was, was it Paul Cook, I think. Um, didn't work at all. Um, but McKenna's gone in there, sort of an untested coach, come out of United and is doing really, really impressively and... Uh, we've seen teams like Sunderland did quite well in the championship, didn't they? After after getting promoted, and if you can carry that momentum into the the second tier, it can take you a long way. So it'd be interesting to see how 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 they sustain it. I mean, it's going to be a a tricky place to go, Portman Road. Um, it, you know, it's got the makings maybe 
that's probably where the fear comes in is oh you can see an upset happening there so yeah um we'll see see what happens be good to go back there i think that was one of like the second or first or second game i covered for fulham was was ipswich away in the carabao something like that tete cross mitrovic header Oh God! Yeah. In COVID, COVID times, yeah. Scott Parker era. I, that I blocked that from my memory, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It was a, it's a nice, nice little trip. Did enjoy it. <laughs> God, uh, some things about COVID <laughs> times. I remember some of the games, and just some of them, I've just literally got no recollection of like what happened in those games, and that's definitely uh, one of them up there. Uh, Jack, are you up for a trip to Ipswich? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I love Portman Road. When we went there in what twenty seventeen, was it? Still remains one of Rui my favourite away days ever when Rui Font had his finest hour for Fulham and it felt like we'd signed the best player of the championship we've ever seen. You know, he'd come on, he scored. I think he hit the bar as well. And we were like, oh, wow, this kid is something else. I think Cabano scored the first goal. Um, yeah, it was is. an amazing day. It was the same day that McGregor fought Mayweather. There you go. There's a random tidbit of information for you. Um, but just a really good day out and looking forward to going back to it. But yeah, I agree on pretty much all counts. Um, Ipswich are flying. They have that sense about them that they are moving in a really heavily upward trajectory. Um, and that is obviously a banana skin. Now, you'd probably rather a banana skin than a Manchester United away, right? Or a Newcastle United away at this point, because there is still a banana skin is there for a reason you can avoid it. Um, but when you're when you're looking at this and looking at the way they play and the fact that they went 2-0 down to Wolves in the cup this week and came back to win 3-2, much changed Ipswich side as well, heavily rotated. I think I think shows kind of the form and, and feeling that they've got going around the place at the moment. So yeah, by no means easy, but definitely one that I think we can we can look forward to. And yeah, an, an opportunity, not n- by no means an easy game, but an opportunity nonetheless. Yeah, uh, the timing of it will be interesting as well. Almost certain to be Wednesday. There's a Sunday game against Brighton. Then it's Saturday lunchtime, uh, Old Trafford, uh, not Old Trafford, but against Man United at Craven Cottage then the following Saturday. So going to be a uh, bit of rotation you'd imagine from Marco he's going to have to manage his squad uh, to, to make all that work uh, we're going to take a break there afterwards we'll look ahead to Chelsea on Monday this season the Thursday Club on Fulhamish is sponsored by Green King Sports where football is more than a game Green King Sports venues are showing every televised Fulham fixture over the course of the season so with next Monday's SW6 derby against Chelsea being live on Sky Sports if you can't make it to the cottage head to your local Green King Sports pub instead and they'll be showing the game there. Also, Green King Sports have recently launched the Green King Sports Instagram page, which will be home to fan content, deals, and competitions throughout the season. Drop them a follow, and you'll be the first to know about all of those special offers. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack and Peter. Let's look ahead then to Chelsea on Monday, the SW6 derby. Now, Peter, his phone is off the hook. He's been uh, declining calls all the time, so he's going to go in a second. But we thought just before we let you go, we were holding you hostage, um, but we won't let you go until you give us one minute on uh, Chelsea Fulham and uh, and why Fulham are going to win. <laughs> Because uh, Chelsea seems to be a bunch of lemons at the moment. Um, there's a reference there <laughs> nice. with um, Pochettino's nice. lemons. and Very interesting yes. while well, he has lemons on his desk. Um, but he was talking about that in a press conference. So um, it's not going well for the, for the other team in SW6. Um, they have, I mean, in short, they've completely changed their squad, brought in a load of young players who aren't really used to the Premier League. A few of them have got injured and lo and behold, they're not winning games. Um, I, I mean... 
I think the last time Chelsea beat a team in the top 10, oh, this is going to jinx it now, isn't it? Uh, was back in 2022. Was it January 2022? No. Yeah, maybe it is that long. Yeah. I, I think, think it so. is that long. I think it is. It was the Spurs, it was Spurs wasn't it? Yeah. Which is absolutely that. insane for, a, for a, a club of Chelsea size to go that long without beating a team in the top 10 at, on the day of the actual game. Um, of course, Fulham are, are they being 10th? That's technically top 10, right? There that is. is yeah. We're, we're 11th. 11th. 11th now. And oh, also okay, everyone well, plays this weekend. That's fine. So I'd just, imagine. Let's talk about this bit a bit more then. Um, but yeah, I mean, even so, that, that kind of sums up where they are at the moment. Um, lots of change. I've obviously got a very, very talented squad. Um, and I think the win over Brighton is probably something they kind of needed, to be honest, because of the, the negativity that, that sort of inspiring around their club. They, they have not been able to score goals. Um uh, so that that hopefully it won't be a nil nil, but um, that's that's been part of their issue. Um, but I, I, they're a very it's 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 set up for Fulham to do well uh, Monday night. It's an opportunity to to show where where the team are at for Fulham to to finally click. I think uh, in front of goal in the final third, and um, it is. I mean, it is quite something that Fulham go into this game above Chelsea again in the table. Um, and now it's just about see if they can do that really sort of unprecedented thing of back-to-back back-to-back home wins over over Chelsea um, and it's it's possible considering where Chelsea are at amazing um, Peter you go do your thing thanks nice for being on today catch you soon guys right Jack let's get your thoughts on it then um, Chelsea on Monday and there's going to be no Malagusto there's no Nicholas Jackson they're both suspended Chelsea got lots of injuries but you still look at the squad and you're like okay there are still some good players here who on their day can deliver like it's it's so odd isn't it because you're like we're going into this game as favorites they're an absolute mess they'd be bottom of the league if the season had started on the 1st of January and you exclude the three teams that did go down and the three teams that came up and they'd be about 20, about four or five points, I think, off the team that would be above them, which I think is Everton. It just, it's incredible, the drop-off that they've had recently. And, you know, logic dictates that it won't last forever. No. Um, Leicester have scored more goals in 2023 in the Premier League and Leicester were relegated in May. And that's a pretty wild statistic, I think, to be thrown around. Um, Look, they were much improved, especially in the second half against Brighton. And it did seem like that goal took the weight off the shoulders. Now, there's also the fact that after the game yesterday, Pochettino said that Ben Chilwell has a hamstring strain. Um, So that's going to be one to keep an eye on through the thing. But it does feel like it's like one disaster after another. It feels like it's lurching from, you know, pillar to post in in many ways. I'd imagine that Reese James isn't going to be back. Obviously, he stepped up his training programme, but even still, he has a charge to answer from the FA um, on abusing mm-hmm. match officials in the tunnel. So even if he was to be back from injury, I, I wonder if he's about to be hit with a suspension as well. What I was impressed, and I, I went back and watched the game from, from last night this morning, and I was impressed with Nicole Palmer, who I thought was mm. absolutely excellent. And Mudrick is improving. Those are the, the, the kind of things that you, you kind of pick up on immediately. Mudrick is starting to to make things happen. He's starting to try roasting right backs. Now, good luck trying that of with Kenny Tete, as you'd imagine. But equally, um, you, you don't want to see that kind of player kicking into gear ahead of you coming up against this lot. So 
there's there's still question marks and relatively big question marks, I think, over this team, how they set up. I'm still not convinced by what Pochettino has done in terms of the, the formations since preseason. He played the entire preseason in a 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, 4-2-3-1, and then kind of switched and went through at the back for the, the kickoff of the Premier League season and hasn't looked back despite the fact that results have gone downhill. So there remain question marks, um, but I, I do think they are improving and they are going to get better. So this is a good time, I think, if any, to play them. It would have been better two weeks ago, obviously, but it, it'd be good to get them and, and just not, if it would be amazing to knock them back into the abyss, which they just think they've put one hand on, you know, the ledge and trying to climb out of, to, to be able to just stamp on that hand would be a real nice moment, I think. And there are ways that you can get this side. Look, Brighton had joy in the first half. We've seen other teams have joy against this Chelsea side. They are not infallible. Their back line remains gettable at, especially I think Thiago Silva's drop-off so far this season. Now, I've said that, so he'll almost undoubtedly have an absolute stormer against us. But there is that element of, you know, uncertainty around this back line that I think can be exploited. And it's going to be very interesting to see how Pochettino shuffles his deck to try and deal with the threat that Fulham pose, um, especially at right back, where you'd imagine they're going to be coming up against Willian, who, you know, has the potential. And, and yesterday I thought was his best performance in a Fulham shirt this season. You have that kind of feel that you're like, okay, if he's getting back to form, the last thing in the world you want is a stand-in right back coming up against him when he's able to just shift the ball out of his feet and manipulate the ball so well. That's where I think it's going to be a, a very interesting battle. Yeah, fascinating to see what they do at right back. Obviously, that is somewhere Moises Caicedo has played. So they could put Caicedo at right back or they could put Cucurella on the wrong side. Disassi as well. Yeah. And then up front, I mean, I guess Armando Broya. Yeah, although I, I thought it was interesting that he, the minutes he got yesterday were limited. I thought that they might give him the first 45 and see how he how he fared. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem that way. I mean, I suppose Raheem Sterling can play through the middle. There's there's that to probably consider as well, although whether that's the right move in a game like this or not is, is a different question. But yeah, it, it does feel like there are major holes right now in this squad um sometimes that can be a good thing right because players suddenly get thrown in they're like okay the pressure's off because i'm playing in an unfamiliar position and suddenly they they hit a gold mine of form we just have to and i hope that doesn't matter i I think key is not you know the way that the bridge lifted yesterday when they scored and the players like visibly looked like a weight had been taken off their shoulders frustrate this team and their fans will get annoyed like they they will expect you know, an element of revenge after losing at the cottage last season. And I think there is that kind of sense that if you can get at this Chelsea team and put them on the back foot, there is still the grumbles of discontent murmuring in the background that you can exploit and and get those fans feeling frustrated and not wanting to get behind them. If you let Chelsea score early, I think that someone is going to get pasted. And I just really, really hope that it's not us. Yeah, I mean, for, from an outside perspective as well, when you saw um, Nkunku get injured in pre-season, because he caused us a lot of problems. I think he played in that pre-season match, didn't he, against us? And Well, he certainly looked very yeah, good in pre-season yeah. anyway. And so I think when he got injured, you suddenly realised that the wheels might fall off for Chelsea, but never to this extent. I remember seeing what they did in the summer, all the signings, all the money 
Pochettino, I was like, okay, yeah, we've had one bad season of Chelsea. We're not going to get another vintage Chelsea rotten season. And, and Pochettino is probably the kind of manager that can turn this around. It only takes two or three wins in consecutive on the bounce to to get out of the position they're in. Mm. But it is quite astonishing. And as you mentioned, um, yeah, I've certainly heard good things about Cole Palmer's uh, brief appearances that he's made for, for Chelsea. Um, Jack, just from a game point of view, I feel like this is going to be tight, though. You've got two teams struggling to score goals. Um, it was nil-nil at the bridge last year. It was a tight game, the one that we won 2-1 at the cottage. So I'm not expecting much more than a goal or two in, in this game. It's going to be nervy and tense and just basically who can get that first goal feels like absolutely critical in this one. Yeah, I mean, the first goal is usually important, but in, in a game between two teams who have struggled to find the back of the net this season, I think that that becomes ever more present, right? And and so, you know, it also is about the mood of things. And, you know, I kind of referenced it there, but I think that equally it can it can roll for the home support as well. You'd imagine it's going to be incredibly loud on Monday night to begin with, um, but an early goal can quieten stadiums. And, and that's the last thing that you need when you're trying to roll into a bit of form you know, obviously a couple of good results in a row now for Fulham. And you're thinking, okay, can we use this as a springboard? We're starting to see a few players hit a little bit of form, hit a little bit of a vibe. Can you keep that rolling? And the last thing you need at that point is to concede an early goal. It, it really is important here um, in order to just to calm this one down. And I this, you know, I, I'm not even saying score any, although I think that you could really hurt Chelsea's bounce back emotion by doing so. I think just settle this one out for the first 15 minutes, make sure you don't concede and then start to grow into it and allow those fears to start to prey on them that they might not be on the path to redemption that they feel they're on after last night. And and that's, I think, going to be crucial. Yeah. Uh, who would you play in this one? Would it be kind of as we'd expect? I mean, obviously, some of it depends on fitness, particularly I think Kenny Tete is now obviously the biggest question. He obviously didn't play again against Norwich last night. He wasn't in the squad against Palace. Um, other than that, like, would we expect just to see the kind of usual Polina Reed in midfield, Pereira in the 10, probably Raul Jimenez up top, maybe after Carlos Vinicius didn't do that much last night? Yeah, I, I think so. I think Raul goes up back in up top. Um, I thought Bassi was excellent last night, but you'd imagine that you look for the experience of Tim Ream in a game like this. Obviously, Leno comes back in. Castagna's been excellent since he switched to right back, I think. Um, now, if Tete's available and you've got someone like Mudrik trying to get into a, a rhythm, then putting the league's best one-on-one -on -one defender up against him is usually a pretty good symbol. But yeah, aside from that, I think this is business as usual. It's hard to drop a Wobi after the performance that he put in last night. But equally, I think this is the kind of game where you, you do need to win that physical midfield battle and Polina and Reed seems like the most obvious option in that regard. I think I'd go back to Harry Wilson on the right. I, I thought he was excellent last night, worked really hard, made things happen. Um, and, and so I think I would start Willia and Raul Wilson. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting with Tete because obviously not on the bench last night either. I just went back and double checked because I, I didn't look too closely at the sub bench. It's quite a lot to expect someone to go from not in the squad to starting when you've got someone of Castagna's ability as a stand-in. So I wonder, I think this might come a bit too soon for, for Kenny Tete. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it probably is a little bit of a boon for us that it's on the Monday night, gives a couple of extra days to that recovery period. But yeah, I mean, yet to be seen as we, as we know. Uh, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we're going to look at the ticket debacle. 
part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack Collins. And we are delighted to announce that the tickets for our Fulhamish Live straight after the Sheffield United game at the Half Moon Putney are live. Grab your tickets now. We've not put it on social media yet. We love to give first priority to the people that actually listen to this podcast. So hit the description in the link of the pod. Find it on fullermish.co.uk and grab your tickets. It's always so much fun. We analyze the match. Hopefully it'll be a nice full and win. It'll be a nice day out. And we record a part of This Will Catch On, which then goes in the following Thursday club. We always have a special guest for our live shows. And for this one, we have got Football Ramble host Marcus Speller, converted Fulham fan, to be live on stage with us after the show. Yeah, we are well excited. Uh, to have Marcus. We kind of knew Marcus from back in the day when we very first started Fulhamish. We were often recording in the room next door to them and we kind of got to know them a little bit and Marcus was always very gracious. At that time, I didn't really know how much of a Fulham fan he was. It seems to have grown on him. Um, but now often on the show, he's always talking about his love for Fulham and going to the cottage regularly and things like that. So we are very excited to have Marcus at the live show, plus all of your Fulhamish favourites as well. And, and Dom. I don't think Dom's available, actually. I think Dom's working for this one, so you're spared the Dom Just all your your Fulhamish favourites, then. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Grab your tickets. The link is in the description. We'd love to see you there. And also, before the game, um, the Half Moon are going to be put on some beers and some bacon sandwiches and things like that. So if you're knocking about before the Sheffield United game, and this isn't ticketed, by the way, just come on down. But the Half Moon said, uh, we'd love to have you before the Sheffield United match as well. So I think a few of us will be uh, be there beforehand as well if you uh, fancy popping in for a drink beforehand. But yeah, we'd love to see you at the Half Moon. Uh, Jack, let's move on to a slightly less cheery subject. And once again, we are here, me and you, Groundhog Day, talking about bloody ticket prices. So uh, on Monday, the club announced their ticket prices for Manchester United. You've probably seen them. Uh, If you haven't, uh, check out our Instagram, check out our Twitter. There's a screenshot on there. Um, Incredibly, £150 minimum for the Riverside stand. 150 English pounds to sit in the Riverside stand. Um, Most of the Hammersmith end and the Putney end are £77. The kids' tickets are pretty astronomical as well. So are the concessions. It's the same old shit, but Fulham have just always got a knack of seemingly every six months, it feels like, Jack, of just pushing the barrier to see how far they can stretch it. They've done it once again. And everyone's pissed off and it'll probably repeat in another six months and we'll be all pissed off again. Yeah, it does feel like banging heads continuously against the wall uh, on a topic that the club just seem to refuse to listen to anyone about. Um, They will talk about the fact that these games sell out. They will tell about the fact that financially it makes sense from a club perspective and that all well might be the case. Um, it's not really my argument with them. My argument is that you can see already these tickets going up on sale on tout sites where we can already see that Fulham fans, you know, kicking back against this as the club announced things and, and talk about stuff and saying, I can't be going to that. I can't afford it. And we know that the club will continue to sell out these games because Manchester United fans in London and the surrounding areas will see an opportunity to buy tickets and go and see 
their club play and it will dilute the atmosphere once again it will ostracize fans long-term fans who don't have season tickets who travel down to the cottage numerous times a year who you know have memberships etc and are being asked to pay you know an, an inordinate amount you know for let's just say two adults and two kids in you know let's pick h2 as, a, as an example we're talking, you know, approximately £300 on match tickets, which is wild, like wild, wild to, to even think about that, you know, Fulham are, are thinking that that's an acceptable amount to charge for a family. This has and, you know, has, has prided itself on being a family club for so long. And I, look, I, I don't want to go back through all of the things we've discussed time and time again on this podcast about the fact that, you know, alienating young fans is going to drive them away. There are other options. There are other options in the surrounding area. There are options at Chelsea, which will almost certainly be cheaper than this uh, on the same weekend. There will be options at Brentford, which will definitely be cheaper than this um, for a match day experience. They've built a new stadium around and has, you know, all the facilities that you could possibly want. It's a, you know, it's a good stadium. As much as it hurts me to say it, they've built a good little stadium there. And it's a, an enjoyable experience in terms of watching games because it has been built to specifics. You compare that with something like the back of the Hammersmith end, which still, yes, they've put in a few new staircases this summer to try and allay the crushing, but still feels like a war zone when the Hammersmith end is sold out at half time and before game and after the game in the concourse. Um, they're asking for tickets, you know, north of 160 pounds in the Riverside for an unfinished facility which continues to have wood chip facilities below it and seems to you know if, if it was a completely utterly finished ex, you know experience i'd still think this was too much money but at that level you're expecting premium you're expecting tottenham's stadium and and instead you're getting chipboard and 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 temporary food and drink underneath it's nuts it's like it's absolutely crazy and in terms of the long term sustainability of this fan base it makes no sense whatsoever it is very much picking up that quick buck and then not coming back on it for the generations to come now if if these rumors that the khans are looking to sell the club at some point you know once the riverside is finished are true then maybe they're trying to recoup some of the money that's been floated into the club and you know to deny that that has happened is nonsense. They have been put a lot of money, or Shard Khan's put a lot of money into the club to, you know, to buy off the debt, to convert that into shares, etc., etc., etc. But when you're looking at what this means for the club long term, and you look at the attendance at Norwich last night, and the core fan base will be there thick and thin, no matter what, this is not helping to grow that. And it really upsets me that no one is looking at, you know, a long term strategy or vision here. Or they are and they're completely ignoring it and thinking that the long term strategy is to is to make the cottage into somewhere that people, you know, are happy to come as away fans and sit in the home ends or you know, tourists come in and, and, and sit in and enjoy a game of football and that's all it is, because they're not then beholden to those people as stakeholders with emotional shares in the club. Maybe that's it. But for me, that's not what the club is about. It's not what any football club should be about. And I think that we're walking down and walking perilously further down a really quite dangerous path here. I actually, I saw a couple of people last night use the low attendance as like, well, look, Fulham fans, it was cheap and they still didn't turn up. I look at it the opposite way. It just shows the size of the actual core fan base of this club. And it's still pretty small. It's got bigger. 
Spurs in a couple of weeks. It's a London derby. It hasn't sold out yet. I think it will just. It's gone to members. Might even go to general sale. But this is Spurs away. It's a 3,000 allocation. Most clubs can in London. Can you go to general sale? Oh, well, you can probably go to booking history. Do you know what I mean? Booking kind history, of maybe. Basically, yeah. any Fulham fan that's ever bought a ticket could go to probably get a ticket to Spurs away. Spurs away. I know second or third time there. Like, I'm not, this is not me ratting out fans that can't go, etc. It's me saying that our core fan base is not that big. We don't sell out away allocations. We don't sell out cup games. You know, that lot up the road, in the, I mean, the blue side, um, you know, has more fans than they know what to do with. They could alienate all the fans that are going to Stamford Bridge and have another 40,000 just roll in and replace them probably tomorrow because there are that many of them. We don't have that. And this structure is not helping that. But as you say, Jack, I think that like either they are ignorant to that and it's just short term targets, 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 targets. Or yeah, there is the slightly more cynical side of actually, this is a strategy. This is just a why bother with long-term supporters and all in the traditional sense when you could just charge high prices and make big money off those kind of prestige Premier League games. But, you know, how far do you want to go with this? You know, might as well, do we just like accept it? And then in a couple of years time, actually we have like an open neutral stand, like the whole of the Riverside's just neutral and it's just like support whatever you want, as long as you're willing to pay 200 pounds and you get a premium experience, you'll get Premier League football. Like you could go that far if you wanted to be cynical about it. And, and you start to wonder now, like, is that the way it's going? Cause it's actually borderline. I mean, I just can't believe they've, again, similar to like arguments a few years ago, I think the Fulham fan base was kind of I had almost like loosely accepted these prices and then they've just gone and absolutely like knocked it out of the park again and raised the whole issue once again. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? It's wild. Look, the cottage last night was about half capacity, 12,831. It's been around the 24, just shy of the 25,000 mark for the two home games this season in the league. It was 21,000 for the Tottenham game. But a lot of that would have been the fact that Tottenham took the entire Putney end and also its Premier League opposition. There were more fans at Brentford Arsenal last night in the Carabao Cup than there were at Fulham. Now, again, big team in the cup, home game, you know, playing a team above you as opposed to one below you raises in interest, raises expectation, raises desire to go, all of those things. But it's worth considering, I think. And, and you know, you look at you know the way that this has played out so far, it it worries me. It worries me majorly. And and I think that, you know, when you're when you're trying to compare these things, you have to put Fulham up against our direct rivals. And I don't mean that in terms of local rivals, etc. I mean in terms of who is pulling in their undecided fans or young fans in the area who are growing up around the place. And ultimately at the moment, there is going to be a, an issue in, you know, trying to make that stick because Right now, I think, and, and you mentioned this in, in your Twitter thread about it, we are reaping the rewards as a fan base. And we have a lot of fan base in the 20s and 30s who were able to go to maybe more games than originally expected, many of whom will, you know, I, I'm not speaking from experience here. My you know, granddad was a Fulham fan. My dad's a Fulham fan. I come from that line. I was always going to be a Fulham fan. But there are a lot of people and we see them on social media and that's not a, this isn't supposed to be any sort of superiority complex. Every, you know, everyone is equal. It's, it's, it's an equal share, right? You know, it, but 
when you know you see fans coming in from those one pound tickets that were available from people being like oh yeah i brought a mate along when i was younger and because ch- tickets were cheap and now they come to every game now they're a season ticket holder it helped to grow an age and, and a generation of fulham fans who are now steeped within the club what's going to happen in 10 years because that generation will not exist and it's going to skip one and that is a real worry for what goes on in you know 10 15 years times in these away ends when you know you're you're meant to be seeing a, a new generation come through you're meant to be seeing you know an explosion of youth into those ends and, and make them you know lively and vibrant and instead it's not there that there is a gaping hole and suddenly everything starts to fall away again. If Fulham were to be relegated again and go through a tough period that wasn't even just the bounce back years, because actually being in the Premier League and then getting promoted again in the Championship, it's kind of fine because you win loads of games and people get excited about it and therefore the the desire to return continues. But what happens if Fulham go through a period like after our first relegation for the Premier League where we struggled at the bottom of the Championship? Where are those people going to be then? Are these tourists going to be in here paying £100 for a seat if Fulham are playing Millwall at the bottom of the Championship? I don't think so. And so therefore, can you build that out as a strategy and genuinely think it's sustainable? Look, when the Riverside ticket prices were announced... I said that if they're going to try and charge, you know, to high heaven for those premium seats in the middle of the riverside, um, then as long as that subsidizes the rest of the ground and everyone else is unaffected, then that's fine. It's not great, but I can live with it. And instead, what we've had is riversiders moved out of their original seats who were, you know, given the opportunity to move back, but at what, four times the cost, who are now sitting in the Putney End, sitting in the Hammersmith End, sitting in the Johnny Haynes, who wanted to return to their original seats and were basically forced out by expanding costs. We're seeing all of these things come home to roost. And ultimately, it doesn't feel like the club cares a jot. And every answer comes back to, oh, it's a financial decision. That's not cutting the mustard for me anymore. Yeah. And also, we should say that if anything, the bigger scandal here, look, Man United grabbed the headlines and it was one of those that grabbed attention brilliantly on Monday from a lot of people outside the Fulham fan base. And I think that's essential because I don't think Fulham massively care about all the Fulham fans gossing him away, moaning about the club. I think they do care though, when there's external headlines, when the wider masses are seeing and criticizing Fulham, I think they do care about that. And what though, I think you look at these prices for Sheffield United, which is in a couple of weeks time. And and these are absolutely astounding. I mean, we're talking here, Probably the weakest side in the league. I mean, they just lost 8-0. Um, £61 is the cheapest ticket in the Hammersmith end. If you want to sit in the Putney end, it's £71. Most of the Hammersmith end is £71. Uh, the Johnny Haynes, apart from the little family bit, which you have to go with kids, is 77 A lot of it's 94 The Riverside is 120 up to 125 like, this is the actual... Get- Look, Manchester United is Manchester United. It was always going to be Category A. It was always going to be the most expensive. It's it, will also, it will also sell out because it's Manchester United, right? It will sell out because it's yeah. Manchester United the attendance at the Sheffield United game will be a better view. And, and look, there is something to be said for the fact that you know, season tickets went up and, and it went up more than I think is fair um, in, in terms of... And we talked about that. But in terms of value for money per, per game, that comes out at, what, £35 a game? It's still, you know, I think yeah, probably a shy on the expensive yeah, yeah. side, but I think that that's probably just about okay. 
when you look at what that means in terms of per game, if you were a member, even if you wanted to come to 10 games a season, it's cheaper to buy a season ticket and not use it than it is to buy, you know, 10 games in a season. That's insane. That's insane behavior because if the club are then like, oh, well, we reward season ticket holders, what you're going to get is empty seats on empty seats across the course of a single campaign because people will be like, fine, I can't, you know, it's, it's cheaper for me to buy a season ticket and not turn up half the time than it is to, you know, to actually to buy things. And that's wild. Like that, that that's a, a, a mad place to be. I think this is such a complicated argument because yes, you've got to reward season tickets. You've got to reward loyalty. And if people are going to just turn up for one match in a while and, you know, you've got to charge those, you know, you make some money out of the tourists. I get it. But like, there's no system in place for the kind of like middle level. Those that, you know, and I remember when I first started supporting Fulham and I wanted to go loads, but my mum and dad were like, well, you know, I wasn't going to jump from like, never going to suddenly a season ticket out of nowhere. Fulham used to have these packages where you could buy at the beginning of the season, you could buy like six games. I remember you could buy like one category A, two category Half B, three categories to do C. as well. Yeah, but that was brilliant because it was like, you know, you paid a certain little bit, you committed a bit, you got your tickets and you were able to kind of choose. There's none of that in place because it's more complicated and it doesn't make as much money as just having season tickets, really high expensive match tickets and it's just forgetting the kind of like I, I, I say middle class of of, of Fulham fan in, in, and I don't mean that in that sense just in that level of like you've got people that season tickets super committed you've then got this kind of level of Fulham fan who want to go quite a bit just can't go every week you can't afford a season ticket well, people that just aren't in London people that you know are Fulham fans that yeah. might have moved away it, it just there doesn't seem to be any any system in place to try and look after our own and that makes me really sad yeah because effectively by buying a 50 pound membership which anyone can do any man united liverpool whoever fan can do at the beginning of the season they pay their 50 quid they've got exactly as much right to buy a ticket as someone that's been coming to fulham on and off for 25 years there's no loyalty system in place for home tickets nothing because it's all i mean partially it's it's money and cost and time and it's effort and 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 also it's just doesn't seem to get the kind of clientele that they want. Anyway, there does seem this time to be genuine um, desire amongst large swathes of the fan base, as far as I can tell on social media, for some sort of visual protest. I'm all for it. I think that it is time for Fulham fans, if we're upset about it, to make our feelings known. Um, we did a statement on the Fulhamish Twitter, basically saying that uh, we would throw our support as a platform uh, behind any protest. We would not lead it this time, as obviously you might remember we did in 2019, and that we would, you know, make sure that we liaised with all supporters' bodies on any protest, and we would love to be part of that discussion. There do, does seem to be movement in the background. Uh, the Fulham Supporters Trust uh, released a statement earlier today, just on Twitter, that they are considering further action in order to display concerns at uh, recent ticket price hikes. Um, I know firsthand that there are 
discussions happening in the background of exactly how to do it. And hopefully there will be updates um, in the coming days, probably just after the Chelsea game, I would suspect. Um, I'm only privy to a few discussions. I'm not the heart of them. I, I, I will say that for, for sure. But yeah, hopefully something can be arranged. And I, I, I think now is the time. I think Jack, like, We've moved from kind of crisis to crisis on this. First, I think especially in the last year, you kind of had those Leeds tickets. You had the Liverpool tickets at the start of last year. Then you had the season ticket announcements in May, but there wasn't really enough time to do anything because there was like only one match of the season left and it was like the last game of the season. And I don't think the appetite was really there to protest. And I think now 12.30 United on the telly, it feels to me a little bit now or never if the Fulham fans base is actually going to have its say because if we let this one go, I just, I, I don't know if you'll be able to mobilise. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think that sometimes it is, it comes down to do we want it or not? And and I think the time has come to show that. Um, let's do some questions uh, before we finish. Uh, I liked this one from uh, Colin Ripley, who says, hi guys, hate to be pedantic, but please let Cam know that Mexico is in North America. And that's from Colin in California. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, thank you. Noted. We'll pass on the message to Cam um, to brush up on his geography. love to see it. That is so funny. That is so funny. (laughs) I have enjoyed that immensely. Um, Very good. Very, very good. Ah. That is, that is excellent. Um, next question from Brian Lake. He says, hello, Fulhamish. Um, will Marco sign on to stay with the club as manager before or after we beat that other team in Fulham on Monday? And that's thanks from Brian. I mean, obviously. Oh, and he says, uh, Sammy, it's OK to go grey. It happens to the best of us. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't we obviously don't know if Marco's going to sign a contract, not heard anything. But actually, it suddenly just got me thinking there of an interesting debate because let's say we did beat Chelsea on Monday. Let's hope we do. Pochettino is going to be under extreme pressure already. And they've got a really tough set of fixtures as well, I think, after they face us. I think they play nearly all top six to eight clubs. I just, I mean, I, I wonder where Marco Silva is basically on Todd Bowley's big list. I don't know doesn't strike me as the kind of manager that they would go for but equally i suppose they brought in potter i i i'd be surprised i'd be very surprised in fact I, i'm i'm willing to put a fair amount of gumption behind the idea that actually that's going to be okay so i'm 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 going to say i appreciate the the concept um but i i i can't see marco silva going down the road to that lot. Uh, Jack, you'll like this one from Christopher Harvey. He says, hi lads, question for the Thursday crew. I'm a season ticket holder in H6. Haven't been convinced by Raul so far. Also, I've got back recently into watching the Bundesliga weekly as well as the Premier League and have been stunned by the start to the season of Stutt- Stuttgart's Serhau Jurassic. Oh, fucking hell. And have been stunned by the start of the season of Stuttgart's Serhau Jurassic. 10 goals in five games is insane numbers, but I wondered if the pull of the Prem could bring him to the cottage. He may be looking higher though than little old Fulham wanted your thoughts on this love the pod from chris jack collins yeah so jurassic was linked to fulham in the summer and he signed for stuttgart on a permanent deal after being on loan there last season and helping 
quite heavily with, with keeping them up. Um, and he has started the season on fire. He's a really, really good footballer. I like him a lot. Um, but on August the 20th, and I don't want to call out names here, but this was, this was bad vibes all round. Um, the Fulham fan used Fulham transfer account tweeted saying, Jurassic has rejected a move to Fulham to, uh, as he doesn't see it as an attractive move for him at this stage. And uh, it was quote tweeted by one of our one of our own um, uh, one of our fan base. He said, "Getting rejected by Jurassic FFS. Don't get me wrong, he's serviceable, but who does he think he is?" And so Jurassic responded to this, <laughs> saying, "No, I'm just Jurassic. Until proven otherwise, I can decide where I want to be, and don't listen to everything on the internet." Um, it's one of those moments I was like, oh no, <laughs> like, the last oh. thing you want him seeing. Like, he's been absolutely on fire since that tweet. So, yeah, um, one of those, really. Um, and look, it's, it's fine. You don't expect footballers, when you tweet about them, to suddenly pop up in your in your, in your replies, right? It's, especially when you haven't tagged them. He's, just, he's obviously searching his yeah. own name. Um, but yeah. Just a, a real moment of like, oh God. Um, brilliant footballer though. Um, and has fired Stuttgart to a really good start of the season. Um, he's on track, I think. He, he scored more goals in the first five games of Bundesliga season than anyone but Robert Lewandowski in that season where he ended up scoring 41. Now, I, I don't think it's going to be that. I don't think this is quite as sustainable as Lewandowski's goal scoring record, especially with this Stuttgart side who are much better than they were last year, but equally still not as you know brilliant as maybe the Bayern side that fired Lewandowski to that total were. Um, but yeah, Jurassic is a really good player. And I really like him and I would have liked that signing, but it is what it is. I mean, straight. I mean, look, I, I feel like we can all put a couple of tweets aside for for the sake of a big move if it, if, it, if it comes off in uh, in in January. Um, plenty of tales of Neil Warnock sag, slagging off players and then signing them the season after, etc. It, it happens. People people brush things under the carpet, so I'm sure we can in this situation. But um, yeah, I I had uh, not seen that. Um, so uh, yeah, not not the best uh, thing. And obviously, sounds like a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, 10 and 5 is Mitrovic in the championship kind of numbers. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see. But good suggestion there, Chris. Um, we'll, uh, we'll pass it on. Uh, and thank you very much for listening today. Uh, Jack, all we need to do is name the podcast. What would you like to go for? I do really want to go with Iwobi Zigazigah. Like, <laughs> I can't explain to you. Like, when I was looking <laughs> it through makes no sense. Reviews, it makes no sense. And I just I just spent about five minutes laughing at it. I just really enjoyed that from, from Jimmy Be Good. Um, <laughs> but I think we're going to have to go with Gordon's Vinny's Budgie Smuggler. Very good. Very good. It's the, it's the right choice, Jack. All right. Well, that'll do for the pod today. We will be back on Tuesday. Uh, George is going to be hosting with all the reaction to that SW6 derby. Please, can we just get another win over Chelsea? It always makes the season and it certainly made last season and uh, it would be amazing to do that uh, again. Thank you earlier to Peter for, for popping in for as long as he could and thank you right now to Jack Collins. No, thank you, Sammy. It's always a pleasure. Have a lovely full and free weekend, whatever you do with it. And then we'll all be back on Monday for that big game. But until then, come on, you whites. You whites. Zig-a-zig-a.